Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Foundry Church podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. We're very excited that you're uh, joining us for a little bit of time this week. What you're about to hear is week three of our uh, our current series called The Gospel According to Sinead. Uh, we've done a series like this to start off each of the last, I think this is the fifth year in a row we've done it. And uh, what we've done along the way is just to, to take a look at people's uh, lives that you may have heard of um, and sort of mine them for uh, the spiritual truths um, that are exemplified by their life and their work. Uh, we've done this series about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Uh, we've done um, musicians, uh, Johnny Cash and um, Paul Hewson, better known as Bono from the band U2. This year is Sinead O'Connor. Last year we actually did a fictional character. Uh, we did the gospel according to Ted Lasso. That was a lot of fun. Uh, this week, uh, as, as we've been going through uh, Sinead O'Connor's music, it's been uh, obviously early in her career, a lot of kind of angsty, angry, um, uh, calling calling out systems and organizations and people uh, for injustice and hypocrisy. Uh, this week was, was more of a turn towards the introspective. Uh, the song is off her album called Theology. The song's called Something Beautiful, and uh, it's, it's this much more sort of introspective um, uh, meditation and prayer, a conversation with God uh, that then turns into God speaking back uh, through the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, it was a great message. It was a great uh, service. And we hope that you enjoy uh, and are inspired by and are challenged by this message uh, from the gospel according to Sinead. Good morning. I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, where we're all about a better you and a better world. Praise God. Amen. Um, so a couple days before we get, get started. Uh, one is, uh, in about three weeks, we're going to be switching some things when it comes to our lobby and the coffee. And it's real simple. Uh, basically, uh, we're getting rid of our disposable uh, paper coffee uh, cup things, and we're moving to like actual reusable mugs. Um, there's two reasons we're doing this. One is because it's uh, like cost effective for what we're doing, helping us save a few dollars, but also like like trees and landfills, and like we talk about a better you and a better world, and this is part of doing that. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be a good thing. Uh, you can still bring your own travel mugs or whatever, but we will have reusable coffee mugs out there. So that's about three weeks, okay? So I know you, like, you'll be really shocked and surprised. Like, Where's my... doesn't matter. You'll be all right. Um, the second thing is this. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our men's ministry and the Fix-It team that was here yesterday doing a lot of hard work. Thank you to those guys. Um, helping keep this place looking good, uh, which is very, very awesome. So we're grateful to them. All right, so we are in week three of our series, The Gospel According to Sinead. We're looking at the life and, and the music of Sinead O'Connor, with our primary focus being on the heart and meaning behind her music. Now, just to be clear, in case you're new here or haven't been tuning in with us, uh, the series is called The Gospel According to Sinead. When we say this, we don't mean that Sinead is the gospel. 
right? The point is not be exactly like this person. The point is to point to the truths of Christ in and through the life and music of these well-known individuals. So like we said last week, Sinead was not perfect. We are aware of that. Do we agree with everything that she said and stood for? Of course not. But just because we don't agree with everything doesn't mean that we can't find some truth within her life and music. So in week one, we looked at her performance on SNL. Uh, we talked about where, where she called out child abuse within the Catholic Church, like a decade before anybody else had done this. Last week, we looked at uh, her song, Black Boys on Mopeds, which had to do with systemic racism in the UK. So today, week three, we're going we're gonna to calm things down just, just a little bit. Uh, and it's a beautiful song, a song that came out on her album called Theology in 2007. It's called Something Beautiful. Um, and so this, this song is going to be our main song for today, and it's also going to be our closing communion song. Okay, so if you want to follow along with the lyrics, uh, in case you weren't here last week, the way you do that is you go to uh, the, uh, the Church Center app, that find our church, click on sermons, click on sermon notes. The lyrics to the song will be in the sermon notes. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, you need to get that as well. That's, it works together, okay? So uh, Joe is going to play the song. We'll give you a second here just to maybe find the lyrics, and then we'll get into some talking about some things. Joe, are you ready? I believe in you. Sing to me, they just the 
song, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. And Joe did not so bad, so good job. To... So uh, the last album we looked at was I Don't Want What I Haven't Got, came out in 1990. Okay, so we have essentially skipped 17 years, five albums, and a whole lot of controversy, drama, and mess in her life, both personally and publicly. So amidst all of the personal and, and public uh, turmoil, and believe me, if you, if you saw everything she got into and what she was doing, it's, it's kind of exhausting. Like, you'd be like, jeez, oh, take, it, take it down a notch, Sinead. But in the middle of all of that, somewhere around 1999, she took an accelerated course under a Catholic bishop in Lourdes, France, and became ordained as a priest in a, traditional, uh, a traditionalist Catholic movement church. This was a, a breakaway group. They're not affiliated or recognized by the mainstream Catholic church, but nonetheless, she was ordained. Uh, in a couple different in- interviews, she was talking, she went on record saying that if she wasn't a musician, like, she would have only wanted to be a priest. And then in her first act of charity after becoming a priest, after becoming ordained, she donated a whole ton of money to set up a shelter and healing center for Ireland's nomadic ethnic minority group known as the Traveling Community. About three years after this, she was, uh, after she was ordained in 2002, she went and took some seminary, seminary level courses at a, at a seminary in Dublin where she studied deep into the Hebrew Bible. Her focus was primarily on the prophets and, and the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, that sort of thing. Three years after that, in 2005, she released this album called Throw Down Your Arms. It was her, uh, like her sixth, seventh album, which was a, a heavily reggae-influenced album. It's around this time that due to her experience with writing and creating this album, she got into Rastafarianism. Rastafarianism, if you don't know, it's a religion that was developed in Jamaica around the 1930s, but it is based on like the scripture. It's, it's an Abrahamic religion based on the scripture, just looking at it through a different lens of interpretation. Um, so sh- this is how Sinead speaks of her experience with Rastafarianism. She says, it's an anti-religious but massively pro-God spiritual movement. That's how she felt about it. This is why she's into it, because it's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Because on one hand, she's like, fight the institution, but on the other hand, she's like, but I want to be a part of the institution. Two years after this, after Throw Down Your Arms in 2007, Sinead releases her eighth album, which is Theology, which we're talking about today. This this whole album was inspired by her studies in the Hebrew text, in the seminary from 2002. So most of the songs on this album are actually just her singing what the prophets wrote, what the wisdom uh, authors wrote. This song, Something Beautiful, is one of the only ones that isn't just scripture. It does contain segments from the prophet Jeremiah, but it's not only scripture. So this album, Theology, was not a commercial success. <laughs> it did not do well uh, in sales. And as we mentioned earlier, we've skipped 17 years and a whole lot of chaos. Um, I want to show you what uh, one particular journal- journalist wrote about Sinead. Her name is uh, Suzanne Moore. This is talking about like post-SNL, so after 1992, kind of everything that she got into. Um, <clears throat> she said, 
It was impossible to name another woman who could generate the kind of publicity O'Connor did over the years without taking her clothes off. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's, that's, okay, uh, but, if it was never, but it was never the good kind of publicity, the kind that would have helped her, her revive and sustain a musical career on her own terms. 15 years after SNL, O'Connor was selling a lot of newspapers, but not records. Yeah, but what have we seen in her life? She's not really about the fame and the fortune, is she? She's a self-proclaimed protest singer, and people and systems don't like to have their things pointed out, their flaws pointed out. So she comes out with this theology album in 2007. It's inspired by her study of the Hebrew text, and then this is what she says about the album itself, okay? She says, I was hoping the album could show God to people when religion itself has blocked their access to God. It was kind of a rescuing God from religion, to lift God out of religion. Rather than preaching or writing, music is the little way that I do that. And I say that as someone who has a lot of love for religion. <laughs> Again, this weird kind of paradox, isn't it? She struggles with it, but she loves it. But also, we should do better with it. But I still... Love it. Now, two thoughts real quick about this before, and then we'll start looking at the song. First is this. Uh, we said in week one that like the first half of her career and her life is, is kind of this young, angsty kind of brash. She's pointing at, at what's wrong. She's highlighting. She's, she's shining the light on the injustice in the world. This album is kind of one of those kind of like turning points, I think, for her. She's already, she's done some studies. She's grown in her relationship and understanding of God. She's grown within herself. She's grown in, in, in who she is as a person. And it's at this point she kind of moves away from just pointing at what's wrong and bad in the world to like doing this inner reflection thing going, well, but what am I doing? How can I make a difference? It's, it's shining the light on the interior and saying, how do I become a light of God into the world? And I think that's a really cool transition, right? Like before it was just truth, 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 and now it's like grace and mercy and forgiveness along with the truth. The second thing is this, and my wife pointed this out a couple weeks ago. She said, it's interesting with everything that Sinead went through with, with the abuse of her mom and the stuff she had with the Catholic Church, that she was still so into religion, that, that she even wanted to be a priest. That, that, that was like a, it's a really good point, that, that it's like she didn't let the pain that she experienced win. She, she took that and allowed that to help reform her and, and shape her and mold her into who she was to become. It's like her love, her love and her desire for God ultimately transcended all of the fallings of man that she experienced, which I think is really, really incredible. And if you've ever experienced any sort of church hurt or wound, you know how hard that that can be. Okay, so now let's focus on the song a little bit. Okay, uh, so this song is like a prayer. It's an offering of thanks. It's a crying out. It, it, it's a regretful warning. And it's this open-ended plea, like kind of all wrapped up into one. So we're just gonna go stanza by stanza. So if you have your notes, you can follow along because we can't put them up here, okay? So stanza one, she says, I wanna make something beautiful from you and for you to show you I adore you. I, I love this opening line. It's just very simple. It's very bare. It's very raw. It's very pure. It's very from the heart. It's like she's looking at the mess of the world and going, gosh, I, I, I have this. I need to do something. I, I need to create something good in the middle of all this chaos. Stanza two, 
And the journey, and your journey towards me, which I see, and I see all you push through, mad for you and because of you. This actually reminds me of this beautiful little psalm, Psalms 34. I want you to see this. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This reminds me, this speaks to me of this acknowledgement of God's desire to be with us and what God is willing to do to rescue, how God operates, and the gratitude that we should have in return. This also should give us a great deal of hope if you're going through something today. The Lord is with, is close to the brokenhearted. In stanza three, she sings, I couldn't thank you in 10,000 years, or if I cried 10,000 rivers of tears. Now, there's no reference in the Bible that I could find that has anything to do with 10,000 years, but there is a little song that you may be familiar with that does. This little song, uh, Amazing Grace, have you heard of this one? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And then you get to the very last verse, and what does it say? When we've been there... 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, she doesn't say anywhere that this is what she's referring to, but I think it seems likely if growing up in the church the way she did, and it fits within the context of the song. I couldn't thank you in 10,000 years. She goes on, oh, but you know the soul, you know what makes it gold. It reminds me of another Psalms, and don't forget what she studied in her seminary classes, prophets, wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, this sort of thing. Psalms 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. Then she sings, you give life through blood. Blood, oh Blood, which to me, and obviously, hopefully you picked up on it, it seems like a clear, pretty clear, clear reference to the expression of love through Jesus on the cross. There's this great verse that mirrors this thought, Ephesians chapter 1. This is from the Message Translation, uh, which if you're not familiar with it, is really good uh, for this one. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishment chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. I love that translation, that version of it, by the way. It's so fantastic. Because of Jesus, we're a free people. Not just, not just barely free, abundantly free. I love that Sinead says this, gives life through blood. This is what all of this makes me think of. Next, next stanza, stanza four. I wanna make something lovely for you because I promise that's what I'd do for you. An acknowledgement of her commitment to, to living and serving God. Uh, with the Bible I stole, I know you forgave my soul, but such was my need on a chronic Christmas Eve. I think we're all agreed that it should have been free. So this actually comes from a story in her life where at one point she was so desperate for like the things of God, for the word of God, and she couldn't find a Bible. So she stole a Bible <laughs> because she has the belief that they should all be free. And she believed that that's what she needed at the time and trusted that God would forgive her, which actually brings up a lot of interesting other questions about 
like morality and stuff, but um, yeah. So then in the last uh, line of this stanza, she, she sings, um, and you sang to me. Okay, so this is where the song shifts a little bit. Up to this point, it's been her prayers, it's been her praise, it's been her crying out to God, and now she's going, okay, this is what I felt God responded to me in this moment. This song up to this point has been her speaking to God, and now the song shifts, and it's like God begins to speak to her, and then this is where we begin to see the words of the prophet Jeremiah from the book of Jeremiah. So stanza five, she says, she sings, uh, it's on your notes. They dress the wounds of my poor people as though they're nothing, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And then in stanza six, she says, days without number, can a bride forget her jewels or made her ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. Okay, so both of these come from the book of Jeremiah. So let's talk about Jeremiah for a second, and then we'll come back to these passages. Okay, so up until somewhere around like 930 BCE, and that time frame is somewhat debated, up until then you have like what's known as the United Kingdom, uh, the, the United Kingdom of Israel. So you have uh, King Saul, you have King David, then you have King Solomon. It's all one United Kingdom. After uh, Solomon's son, sons come into play, we see there's a division within the kingdom. So now you have two separate kingdoms. Here's your Bible history 101, by the way, for today. So you have the Northern Kingdom of Israel. The Northern Kingdom of Israel has the towns of Shechem and Samaria, uh, and then it was overthrown by the Assyrians somewhere around 700 BCE. You also have the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom contains the city of Jerusalem as well as the temple. The southern kingdom stuck around, hung around for a little bit while till somewhere like 580 BCE, something like that. So around 626, you have, it's after the fall of the northern kingdom and before the fall of the southern kingdom that Jeremiah steps into the scene and begins this prophetic ministry. So you're looking at something like 40 years before Judah falls to the Babylonians. So all of his warnings are aimed at and geared towards the people of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. And it's all an attempt to get, like, to be able to avoid the Babylonian invasion. So Jeremiah is primarily understood as a prophet of doom, right? He didn't have a lot of friends because no one wants to hang out with that guy, right? Like, go somewhere else. We don't want to hear it. But, but if you look at the book of Jeremiah, it's one of the longest books in the Bible. And so because of this, you get to see more so than any, of the, any other of the old prophet testaments, you get to see greater detail about his life and his struggles. Jeremiah has a deep love for God, and he has a deep love for the people of God. And yet he gets this really difficult task of being the prophet, of, of reaching out, shouting out, crying out, pointing towards all the things that the people of Israel are missing, like the mark, missing the point. They're, they're off target. His job is to call them back. And so because of this depth of care and concern for the people, Jeremiah is also sometimes known as like the weeping prophet. Right? He's never like excited about this. Oh, they're going to get it. <laughs> oh, you should have listened to me, right? No, no, no. He's, he's sad. He's, he's upset that this is coming, I also kind of wonder if this isn't why, like, Sinead was attracted to the, the, the scripture of Jeremiah, because it's kind of where she seems to be as well, this idea of the weeping prophet. So what we see throughout the book is that Jeremiah is primarily calling out what's known as the twin sins, okay? It's the sin of idolatry, and it's the sin of injustice. The people are turning their backs on God. They're worshiping false idols, false God, but they're also neglecting God's commands to take care of and look out for the less fortunate. And these two things seem to often go together, don't they? As people move away from God, they also move away from the instructions of God. 
So much of this book is about the idolatry, but there's a lot in here about the injustice stuff too. Let me show you a few passages. Jeremiah chapter five, verse 26. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait, like men who snare birds, and like those who set traps to catch people. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their, their evil deeds have no limit. I, I like this statement right here because it's like, it's like prefacing the rest of this. Like, their evil deeds have no limit. Like, you want to know how bad it was? Look at what God says next. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. It's not their evil deeds know no limits, like they were just sleeping and drinking and having a big party all the time. No, no, no. The, the area that God is concerned with is these things. Justice, orphans, poor. This is the thing. Look at the next, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. This is God uh, speaking about the temple. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. Let me show you one more, Jeremiah chapter 22. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hands of the oppressors the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Right? All these instructions to like love God and love each other and to take care of those in need this is not new to the book of Jeremiah. This is all going back to like the book of Exodus when the people are set free from slavery and God takes them to Mount Sinai and then gives Moses these commandments. And like this has all been a part of who they were supposed to be for a really long time. God is trying to teach them about the kind of people that they would be. And this, this isn't just for like their own sake. Yes, it was for them to make them a better people, but also this was like for not them. Because as God told Abraham when he gave him the covenant, like he's gonna make him into this great people and through this nation, God would bless all the other nations. And like God said to, to Moses at, at Sinai, he says this, Exodus chapter 19, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You are, be to, you are to be for me a kingdom of priests. And what does the priest do? The priest puts the divine on display. You can tell what a God is like by how the priest who serves him operates. What is the priest doing? And so what this nation of priests is supposed to be doing is loving and honoring their God and looking out for those who are in need, the widows, the orphaners, the orphans, the poor, the foreigners, the innocent. So by the time of Jeremiah, the people are not doing this. They're missing the mark, which essentially means that they're misrepresenting who God is to the rest of the world, which also means they're failing at their calling of being a blessing to the entirety of the world. So in stanza five, when Sinead sings, they dress the wounds of my poor people as though they're nothing, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. She's quoting Jeremiah chapter six. Let's take a look at this passage. 
We're going to catch a verse or two uh, before and after it. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. So Jeremiah is addressing like the, primarily in this section the priests and the prophets, the ones who are actually like uh, acting directly on God's behalf. The wounds that they're referring to, the wounds of the people, is this is God speaking to the idolatry and the injustice. And God's saying, like, you're not taking this seriously. You're saying peace, peace when there is no peace. You're saying, no, 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 everything's fine. We're okay as we are. Even though the people are worshiping false gods and even though they're not taking care of the widows and the orphans and the poor and the foreigners and the innocent and even though they're not actually dealing with the actual wounds of the people. Yeah, 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 everything's fine. And not only that, but they also don't have any shame or guilt about this. They don't even know how to blush. They be, become so calloused in their ways. They, they're not even embarrassed that they're completely missing the two most important things that God has commanded them to do. Okay, so stanza six, she sings, days without number, can a bride forget her jewels or made her ornaments, yet my people have forgotten me. Okay, that comes from Jeremiah chapter two. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? God's saying like, like have I not taken care of you? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We'll, uh, we will come to you no more. Does your young woman forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. So God is saying to the people, like, did, did I miss something here? Like, I've rescued you, I've led you, I've fed you, I've taken care of you, I've blessed you, and now you're just wandering off? How, how do you not remember everything I've done for you, right? And you have to remember the concept of remembrance in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but even more so in the Old Testament, is is a huge deal. Like, it's always remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember the Lord has saved you. Remember the Lord has rescued you. Remember, remember, remember. And the people aren't remembering. And so he says, does a young woman forget her jewelry or bride her wedding ornaments? No, that would never happen. That would never happen. And yet, God's saying, my people have forgotten me. There's like this hurt here as well, I think. But I think it's, it's God who's hurting I think God's heart has been wounded by the actions and the behaviors of the people, the ones who were supposed to be a blessing to the world, the ones who were supposed to be putting God on display. In stanza seven, the last stanza, she sings, days without number, oh, it's not on there, it's on your notes, days without number, days without number, and in their want, who will dress their wounds? Who will dress their wounds? Days without number comes from that passage in Jeremiah, and basically, it's just it's this idea of like a long time. It's an ongoing, continual amount of time. My people have forgotten me, days without number. And then she wraps up with this question, that last line, and in their want, who will dress their wounds? So it's like she's singing as the voice of God, saying, my people have turned for me, turned from me. They haven't looked out for each other the way that I've instructed. And so now in this time of need, who will step in and bring healing? 
So for me, as I listen to this song, it's such a beautiful and powerful song because there's this crying out, there's this sense of praise that because of the life that we've been given through Christ, because of what God has done for us through giving God's self to us, that we may know life, that we may know life eternal. There's this unconditional grace. There's this desire, this yearning to create something beautiful and lovely and worthwhile, this thing that will be an act of worship towards and because of God. And then in the middle of that yearning, the voice of God via the text of the prophet Jeremiah is saying back, yeah, 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 but there are so many people who are chasing after the wrong gods the false gods of the world. And there are so many people who are in need of actual physical material care. Who will care for the lost and the hurting? So this song, it it ends in this question, who will dress the wounds? The wounds being both spiritual and physical. But to me, it seems like it's not just a question. This song to me is almost kind of a statement as well. Like, if you want to show your love to me, if you want to create something beautiful as a way to express your love and gratitude towards God, then part of the way you do that is by loving and caring for the lost and hurting. This is the way that we create something beautiful. When we live and we share our faith with people and they come home to relationship with the divine, we've created something beautiful. When we live with a spirit of giving and generosity towards others, we're creating something beautiful. When we take care of the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the poor and the innocent, we're creating something beautiful. When we love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, mind, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are creating something beautiful. And I think this is part of the beauty of the gospel, that when we understand the depths of God's love for us, and the salvation that is offered through Christ. Our response should be to take that love, that grace, to share it, to live it out towards others, towards those around us. This is part of the good news. This is also like what we talked about uh, last week in the ministry of reconciliation, that we step into the brokenness of the world and then we bring harmony to it. You know, despite Jeremiah being a prophet of doom and calling out the entire nation of people He was also very much a prophet of personal responsibility. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I feel like that's what we see with Sinead here in her career and his song is like, she went from kind of calling out systems and organizations and structures, and the song very much feels more inward, feels more personal, feels more direct. It's like she's asking the question to us of personal responsibility. Who will dress the wounds? Who will dress the wounds? And so maybe the loving, inviting, and yet deeply pressing question for us today is, will you dress the wounds of the poor, the lost, and the hurting, and the hungry? You want to create something beautiful, dress the wounds. You want to create a better you and a better world, dress the wounds. Isn't that a question of like guilt? Right? This, is, this isn't rooted in guilt. This is just a very simple, very straightforward, and yet very powerful question. One that invites us to take a good hard look at ourselves in the interior. What are we chasing? What are we pursuing? What are we neglecting? 
who are we neglecting? Who will dress the spiritual and physical wounds of God's people? Well, thank you for that message, Seth. Uh, you know, as, as we were talking through uh, this week in the office, just in, in preparation for it, um, you know, at one point we were thinking, well, maybe there's just not a lot to this song beyond, you know, this this prayer, this this uh, conversation with God saying, God, this, this is what I want my life to be. I want my life to be something beautiful. I want it to be a beautiful example. Uh, and then as, as we dug more, we realized that whole section at the end uh, that quotes pretty heavily on uh, the prophet Jeremiah kind of asks the question and, and draws attention to uh, the fact that, you know, oftentimes we we want things to just be good. Uh, we want things to just be okay. Um, I am a um, maybe an Enneagram 6, maybe an Enneagram 9, but whichever one of those I am, I lean heavily towards, um, I, I want there to be peace. I want there to be um, uh, a, a state of harmony between people in my life. And uh, not just people in my life, but people in the world too. And so I know that that can often lead me to just go, you know what, it's fine, we're good, even when things are not fine and good. And so I, I really appreciated Seth's call, Seth pointing out the fact that what the prophet Jeremiah was saying, what Sinead O'Connor is saying through this song, is that um, when there is no peace and we try to paper over it and call it peace, um, that that is, that is dressing real wounds as if they're insignificant. And that if we want there to be actual peace, uh, we have to acknowledge that there is hurt and we have to seek out concrete ways to heal that hurt and not just, uh, not just paper over it and, and try to make everyone, try to make ourselves think that it's okay. And we have to actually do the work uh, and doing the work begins with acknowledging that there is work that needs to be done. Uh, so that was that was a good uh, challenge, a good reminder for me uh, going into this past Sunday. We hope that it's been a good challenge and a good reminder to you. And we hope that you will take that forward into your week as you uh, are making a better you and a better world through God's power in your life uh, and through the saving work of Jesus. All right, that will do it for now for this episode of uh, uh, the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.